In today's episode, we have Sarah Nadler with us, and she is going to talk about how to successfully build your own dream team. You will also get to hear how she turned her expertise into becoming a business consultant, why educating your client will turn them into a compliant client, and her number one strategy for hiring at all stages of your business. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the Online Course Igniter podcast, where you'll hear from successful course creators and how they were able to turn their passion into a thriving online business empire. What's up, everyone? Thanks for checking out the podcast today. We have Sarah Nadler with us, who is a business and balance coach. And I've been speaking with her on her business, where she really helps women of wellness in different types of industries regarding um, health and chiropractors and, and different people like this build their dream teams. And I'm really excited to have her on the show today because in this episode, we're going to hear about her business and uh, the courses that she's created, and then also how you can build a team for your business that might help you out as you begin to grow and scale. So how are you doing today, Sarah? Doing great. Thank you so much, Jeremy. I really appreciate being on the show today. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, great to talk to you. I'm glad we got to uh, conversate a little bit uh, the past couple of weeks. And uh, you got to send me some messages that I listened to on how you are helping people out there in the business world. And I think this is going to be a really cool episode, something that we haven't got to speak directly on before for this podcast, which is you know the importance of team building and, and having those people around you that can help elevate your business. And so I'm excited to dive into that topic. But before we begin into that, why don't you just take a couple minutes and just let me know and let the uh, listeners out there know what you were doing before you got into your business and how did you transition into this world? Yeah, sure. So my background is a little interesting. Um, we have to go way back, but I'll keep it really brief. Uh, when I was 14 years old, I decided I wanted to you know, actually be able to afford a car by the time I turned 16. And I was not born in a rich kid family. I wasn't going to be able to just ask someone for a car. So I started making money and saving money through babysitting. And then I turned to my mom and I said, how could I make more money? And she said, well, you can clean our house. So I started house cleaning. And then eventually that grew into this side hustle I had all through high school where I cleaned people's homes on the weekends. Um, and once I got that car, I drove that car to and from work every weekend. And all of that was fine. It was just a side hustle until a little after my 18th birthday, my sister, my younger sister was diagnosed with cancer. And over the next six months, I lost my sister. My parents divorced. My boyfriend cheated on me, left, and then my dog died. So you can oh imagine God. that was about the most horrific time of my life. And all of this was happening. I knew the first thing I needed to not be a burden on my parents right now. They were going through what they were going through. They didn't need me being a problem. I was 18. I should act like an adult. And so I wanted to get a job that would help support my family through this time. But of course, I had nothing but a high school education, right? <laughs> so what I did was I took that side hustle. And over those six months, despite all the upheaval around me, I turned it into a five-figure business. And so by the time I was 19 years old, I had a team of house cleaners and myself, and we were running this business. Um, and I supported my family 
Um, and actually at one point my mom showed up on my doorstep and handed me my baby sister, not the one with cancer, but the, the youngest one who's under 18 and said, I can't take care of her right now. So I was a single mom with a baby <laughs> and a five figure business at the age of 19. So you can imagine I made pretty much every mistake in the books when it came to how to grow and, and build a business, but I did it. I pulled up, you know, pulled myself up by my bootstraps and just made it happen. But I was really burnt out by the end of that year. Everything had gone wrong in my life. Um, and I really just wanted to get out. So I sold that business and kind of traveled around for a while. And eventually, many years later, went back to school to become a business consultant. And that's what I do now. I've been a full-time business consultant for about three years. That's quite an amazing story. And um, I just want to take a minute to just congratulate you on your ability to get through those tough times. I mean, not everyone is going to have such um, a hardship like that happen all at once like you did. And uh, the fact that you uh, grew up fast and uh, really went at it with gusto and and create this business and support your family and your sister, uh, that's uh, amazing. And I, I just applaud you for that. So how long did you have that cleaning business? I know you said you started it, you know, around those high school years. Uh, how long um, was that business active? About five years. Like I said, it started out as a side hustle. So if you really take a look at the moment when it became an actual business, it was called At Ease Home Help out there in Lakewood, Colorado. <laughs> Could still exist. I actually don't know. I should probably look it up sometime <laughs> to see if the person I sold it to kept it. But um, yeah, it was about five years from the point when I started the actual business entity to the point where I sold it. Okay, awesome. And then, and then you went back and you became a business consultant because at this point you had at least five years of experience in the business world and you decided that this is something you enjoyed, this is something you wanted to do? Actually, by the time I went back to school, I had been in the business world for closer to 15 years. I kind of skipped over quite a bit of the story <laughs> yeah, no problem. <laughs> to get to the punchline there. But I've, I've built and sold two businesses by the time I went back to school. And like I said, that was about three... Well, I graduated school three years ago. Um, and I've been a business consultant full-time ever since. Okay, cool. And then what made you want to become a, a business consultant? I think it really was that original story. You know, by the second time I built my business, it was so much easier. I have to tell you, I knew what to do. I knew what not to do. Um, and I realized that things had been that hard the first time around because of the emotional trauma I was experiencing, because of what my family was going through, but also because I had no idea what I was doing. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs are in that state of mind. Um, and as I said, I work with women in wellness, right? In the healthcare space. And a lot of them, they went to medical school or they went to, you know, chiropractic school. They went to school to become a certified fitness coach or whatever it is, but they didn't necessarily go to business school. And so like me, they are struggling to figure out all this other stuff, right? Like, you know, how do you pay yourself? Is that ethical? Is that, is that legal? Can I write this off? Can I write that off? Right? There's so many questions about, you know, how do you collect the money? How do you sell? How do you, what do you do with the money once you've collected it? <laughs> and I wanted to be there for people. Like I wish someone had been there for me. Yeah, that's really awesome. Um, being able to have that ability to help those people, because like you said, 
they're the experts. You know, they're really good at what they do as uh, the physical therapy or the chiropractic skills or the wellness. Um, but those people always don't have the best sense of business and and how to handle that. And so it's really cool that you're able to uh, guide those people and help them out. And you said you've been doing that for about three years now. Yeah, and it, what you said is exactly true, Jeremy. It's, it's these women; they are powerhouses in their own right. Like I always tell, anytime one of my clients tells me, oh, Sarah, I don't know how you do what you do. I turn around to them and, you know, maybe it's a veterinarian and I'll say like, well, God help the dog who comes to me for surgery. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> They are wonderful at what they do and they deserve the help in the areas that they are not expert in. And I think that's one of the fallacies we have as entrepreneurs is that you must be good at everything right out of the gates. And sure, that would be wonderful if it were true, but it's just not realistic. Right, definitely. You know, it's funny, you remind me of a a quick story. Um, So my expertise is obviously in online business and technology. And uh, one day I was building a computer and I had my all the computer parts, you know, sprawled out on the floor and all the cables and wires and I'm putting everything together and my wife comes in and she goes, I don't understand how you can do that, how you can put together a computer like that. And I looked at her and I said, really? Because I could never do your job. She's a surgical technician. So she's literally rewiring the body, you know, like she's in there, like cutting people open and, and putting uh, valves on hearts and stuff like that. And I'm like, it's good that there's your kind of people and my kind of people in the world because I wouldn't be able to do that either. So uh, yeah, it takes all types and, and it's cool that you have the ability to help these people out. So when you first started, how were you getting clients into your business? Well, I knew I had no experience as a consultant, even though I'd built businesses and I wanted to learn that end of it, um, which you don't learn in school. You know, I went and learned a lot, but not how to actually be a good business consultant. So the first thing I did was I looked for the most prestigious um, consulting firm, corporate consulting firm I could get into. And I was very lucky. I landed a job there and I worked with them for a while. I still have some clients from that company. They now you know, send me clients when they have too many for the consultants they already have on board. And that was great. They trained me up on their techniques for coaching and consulting. And it was really a wonderful experience to be able to see how you know some of these consultants are in their 60s or 70s, they're planning to retire soon. And I had the benefit of their 35 to 40 years of experience in the business consulting world. Nice. So it was kind of like a hands-on mentorship where you're getting to work and you're getting to learn from other consultants on how to run your business in the future. Exactly. So how long did you work for them before you ventured off into your own business? I think it was about a year before I started taking on clients on my own. You know, of course, I'd signed a non-compete with them, so I had to venture out into an entirely different industry. But it's still the the coaching skills bled over one hundred percent because people are people, and I think business owners, no matter what industry you're in, there's only a certain number of things that can go wrong. I talk about them as the the, the four lacks. You know, as a business owner, you either lack time, you lack good employees, you lack money, or you lack clients. Right? <laughs> there's only so many problems you can actually have, and usually it's one of those four lacks or all four of them, depending on how badly off you are that is causing the majority of your other problems. So learning how to 
identify the source of the problems in the business was the biggest thing I learned in the the corporate company that I worked with. And once I knew that, it didn't matter. I could go into pretty much any industry as long as I gained a little bit of familiarity into how they, you know, their processes, et cetera. Gotcha. And then that's when you decided that you wanted to go after the audience of helping women and particularly women in the health and wellness industry. That's right. Like I said, I took a look at what I had, you know, up until that point, who I had helped and who had been the most successful with my methods and went, okay, here's a slice of of the market that I think I can really do the most good for. And then I also looked at what I was passionate about. And I think that as someone who helps people create courses all the time, I'm sure you know exactly what that is. That's niching down and discovering Mm -hmm. what you're passionate for. Yeah, definitely. And and that's that's an important aspect because I feel like a lot of people try to help too many people and they don't niche down enough. I always feel like you can niche down even more like uh you know even if you um if you were struggling and maybe wellness and and women and wellness was too much, maybe you could even niche it down more if you needed to. So I always uh, tell people that that's a good way of going about it at least in the beginning so that you can find someone that you can particularly help And then you can always expand later on if you need to, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, at this point, I have multiple courses that serve different pieces of that audience. So you might say each of my courses has been niched down even further. And I agree. That is is really the only way to get the attention of that audience. Because, you know, I always tell my clients, if you're speaking to a full room and everybody is talking to everybody else, right? And you stand up with no microphone and you just say, Hey, (laughs) right. Only the people closest to you are going to turn around. But if Mm -hmm. you instead say, Hey, can all women who happen to work in wellness, please raise their hand. Now people know who you're talking to and everybody else can just keep talking. And the people you wanted to capture the attention of will actually look up at the stage. Nice. Yeah. I love that. That's a really good analogy. Uh, Let's talk about those courses for just a moment. So um, you said you had a couple multiple courses. So what was the first course that you created? Well, believe it or not, and this was back before I had really decided what I wanted to do. In my travels, I had actually started working with a a marriage coach for a while, not about my own marriage, but to help others, couples. And so the first course I created was actually my Get Married, Stay Married, Live Happily Ever After program. And it's for engaged and newlywed couples. I know it sounds so off beat, right? So off of the beaten track of what I'm actually doing now, but it was wonderful. And I still have a few clients who I work with one-on-one inside that program. Um, But I did eventually create an online course because I realized it wasn't really what I wanted to do. My husband and I are very happily married and we have some great success in helping other couples with that, but it wasn't what I actually wanted to do. So it's sort of the side thing that I've continued um, helping mostly in my church, actually. (laughs) Um, But the courses I do focus on now are one, I have the Women of Wellness Business Lounge, which is an online course. And oftentimes people will purchase the course in conjunction with one-on-one coaching and consulting with me. And then my husband and I, my husband, Ben, is a licensed financial advisor. We actually came together to create an online course for entrepreneurs and small business owners to help them understand business finance. Because you know the way you manage money as a household 
is completely different. It's a different finance model than the way you manage money as a company. And a lot of people coming into business don't really understand that. And so they struggle with money and they struggle with profitability. So we have the financial grip course and the financial grip journey, which is our coaching program that we work on with people together. And just going back to that wedding course, you know, it's it's awesome because we all have to start somewhere. And in those early stages, you know, you're filling out to kind of see what would work for you, what kind of people you want to work with, how you can help. But you, you also get to learn so much along the way, right? Like through that course, I'm sure you picked up a lot of valuable information that helped you later on create your other courses. It totally did. And I'll tell you, I think this is a great example of, you know, there's actually no such thing as failure in the business world. There's only pivoting and giving up, right? (laughs) You can't actually fail at anything you do in business. You can only have a lack of persistence, right? Which means it's on you. It's not on it. It didn't fail, right? You just stopped trying or you can pivot and go, okay, this isn't the right direction. I need to go a different direction. And as long as you have that attitude that you cannot fail, you can only give up or pivot, (laughs) um, you will eventually find the thing that is a great fit for you. So in that example, I was very passionate about it at first and it was making, you know, decent, quite decent money in the beginning. But the more I did it, the more I realized it just wasn't filling me up. And I think that that is a big part of it is if you're doing something day in and day out, that's not filling you up spiritually or emotionally, then... (laughs) You know, money will only make you so happy. <laughs> yeah, that that's awesome. I, I love that. Um, you you got to be doing what you love. And there's a fine line of making sure that you're seeing something through to the end and making sure that you're giving it your best shot. But then on the same spectrum, making sure that it's something that you are passionate and that you love doing. Because if the, if the passion's not there and like you say, it's not filling you up, you're just going to sizzle out and you're going to get over it. And then it becomes more of a chore. It becomes more like actual work because then you're just doing something you'd rather not be doing. Exactly. And like I said, we ended up turning it into something that feeds our existing courses. Like tonight, actually, at 6 p.m. Eastern, I'm going to be off in Tampa um, doing a love and lasagna event for couples. And you know, we invite people to come have lasagna with us and we do a little seminar and we take pieces out of that original Get Married, Stay Married program, but we cater it specifically to you know, how hard it is to be married to an entrepreneur, how hard it is to be married to a business owner. And so we've managed to turn that into something that just feeds our existing programs without having to completely give up on all this amazing content we created. Um, so it wasn't a waste. I learned so much. You know, The second and third times I went to build a course, it took me a fraction of the time <laughs> because I'd already done it before. And that content is still in use in our business as a feeder line today. Awesome. That's really cool. And that sounds like a cool event. If When I'm back in Florida, I need to stop by and, and go to that event. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. There's way more lasagna than you'll want to eat. And we <laughs> just keep it very fun. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. And I noticed, you know, talking about feeding one business type into the other, I also noticed that when you were explaining your courses, you say that you use these, these in conjunction with a coaching or consulting program. So I know a lot of people listening to this podcast might only have an online course and haven't thought about coaching or consulting or blending those together. So is that something you always do? Do you ever sell the course by itself or do you ever do coaching by itself or do you always combine those together? And and what's the importance of doing that? 
So one of the things that is pretty well known as a, as a principle in the health and wellness space is an educated client is a compliant client. Meaning if you're trying to get someone to stick to their fitness regimen, or you're trying to get someone to stick to their business coaching program, right? No matter what it is, the more educated they are, the more compliant they're going to be, right? Meaning they're going to get better results if you educate them. So with that principle in mind, I rarely, rarely will do one-on-one coaching or consulting without making them agree to also study my course. Because I know that as much as they go, oh, and they roll their eyes and they don't want to watch a bunch of pre-recorded content, they will get better results out of everything we're working on if they understand the basic principles behind it. So I do insist on that most of the time. On the flip side, I absolutely sell my course on its own. I do sell it for pretty low price compared to my $15,000, you know, coaching program. You know, I consider it a self-study program and I know that they're not going to get nearly as much out of it without my one-on-one. So, you know, if they really want to just DIY the whole way, I honestly just let them for a couple of hundred bucks because I know that they'll be coming back to me later going, okay, great. I understand the theory. Now, how do I put this into practice? (laughs) So I consider it a feeder line in a lot of ways into my coaching program. And to your point, Jeremy, I think for any of you who are out there who are looking at your 100% pre-recorded course and thinking to yourself, well, I'm selling this for 2000 and you know, I don't know if I want to work one-on-one. I will tell you right now that anybody who purchases your course for a couple thousand dollars is committed enough that they probably would pay 10 to 15,000 or more to work with you one-on-one. So you're probably leaving a lot of money on the table by refusing adamantly to even consider one-on-one. There's a big price difference between one-on-one and pre-recorded content. And sometimes people can afford one, but not the other. So I think it's important in your business to serve your audience with different tiers of pricing. Uh, I don't know what your opinion is on that, Jeremy, but that's what I've really been seeing to be successful. No, I, I think that's awesome. I think people are at different stages in their lives. And just because someone can't afford ten dollars or $15,000 today doesn't mean that they might not be able to in six months or a year. And so having the ability to get people started with a course and let them go through that system and learn the the fundamentals, and then everyone needs the um, accountability. You know, uh, courses are a diamond dozen nowadays. You know, you can find a lot right. of information online, but the accountability is really what what motivates and drives people. And I know from personal experience, paying high ticket cost for coaching that you also get a much better client and a a much better student because like you said, they're much more invested. So uh, the programs that I've gone through where I've paid over $10,000 for coaching, I was all in, you know, I was going to make sure that I was going to see that process through. You just, you get a better client in the end, I feel like. Do do you feel the same? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. There've been times when the client I was dealing with, that was really a drop in the bucket for them. And so there wasn't enough emotional commitment Um, But that's rare. And I think that's unique to my industry in that a lot of doctors do make quite a bit. And so $15,000 is not a whole lot, especially when it's coming out of their business, right? Because it is considered a business expense. Unlike some coaches out there who are doing fitness coaching and the business obviously can't pay for that. And so it's got to come out of their own pocket, right? So I think it really depends. But yes, when you can make the person commit and hopefully even stretch a little, when they feel a little bit emotionally stretched, not stressed, (laughs) but stretched, 
there's definitely a lot of research and studies that have proven that that does make for a more committed client. Um, and I have certainly seen the effects of that in comparison to the kind of results people get when they study my course. It's difficult for someone to finish a course. I think, Jeremy, you might have more statistics on this, but I've seen that it's quite a low number of people who will finish a course that they started if it's 100% pre-recorded. Whereas I don't know when I can name the last client who didn't finish my program when we we're doing it one-on-one. <laughs> right, exactly. That's that's a big part of, of the industry is terrible completion rates um, because everyone's left to their own devices and they don't have that accountability. They don't have someone sitting there, you know, pretty much making them go through the process. It's a, it's a difference of if you're, you know, trying to go to the gym on your own and some days you feel like it and some days you don't feel like it versus having a personal trainer come to your house, wake you up and make you start working out, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I can speak to that. I recently hired a personal trainer and man, if she wasn't there kicking my butt every day, (laughs) (laughs) I would not be in the gym, Jeremy. I can guarantee that. (laughs) Are you struggling to create your first online course? Do you have an idea for a course topic, but don't know how to get started? It can be hard trying to figure out everything that goes into course creation. How do you outline your course? How do you set up the technology to create the content? How do you publish it so that you can begin helping others and making money immediately? We know it can be difficult for first-time course creators. That is why we have designed the Start Your First Course Challenge. Our goal is to help you get that online course published within a couple of weeks. That means that you can get your digital product to market without wasting a bunch of time. We will show you how with the easiest methods possible that we have learned and crafted over the years. You'll learn how to choose a topic, outline your course, script what you want to say, and then record the material. After that, you'll discover how to set up the platform and publish it all with a simple system that's guaranteed to get you results fast. Beat your procrastination by taking action today. Go to startyourfirstcourse.com now to sign up. That's startyourfirstcourse.com. See you in the challenge. Let's talk about um, your your expertise here in building a dream team. And I know that you do this uh, for practitioners of health and wellness and, and these different types of businesses. But I feel like a lot of this stuff will relate to all types of entrepreneurs. And so if someone were to come to you and maybe they have been doing everything themselves, regardless if it's a chiropractic practitioner or it's an online course creator, and they were to come to you and say, look, I'm on my own, I'm stressed out, I'm anxious, and I can't get all the things done that I need to get done. I know your your specialty is building that dream team. Where do you start? Where's the foundation of that process? So it really depends, Jeremy, first of all, on what stage of business they're in. If I have someone who's in pretty much startup stage of business, and they're planning to have a physical location and they need to hire a team so they can even launch that, we're probably going to approach things a little bit differently than if I have someone who is, for instance, starting an online business, which I think a lot of your audience are, right? And they're going, well, you know, I probably want a virtual assistant or something, not really a a full-time or part-time employee, right? So the first thing I will say is look over the types of hires that you can make and determine which ones are the best. Example, the types of hires you might want to consider are a virtual assistant, like I said, which would not be 
an employee, right? This is a contractor on a contractor basis. You're not having to pay them through payroll, et cetera. Um, and they can be as full-time or part-time as you like, right? The other type is obviously a full-time employee. You can have a part-time employee. You can even, depending on what industry you're in, if you're in something that's a little bit more mission-driven, which a lot of people in healthcare are, like they're, you know, they're they're launching some product that's going to change the face of healthcare or something, then you might even consider looking for volunteers before you look for a hire. You also might want to consider having an intern or someone who's still building their portfolio if you truly don't need an actual expert for the thing that you're hiring for. So taking a look at that, making sure actually hiring an employee is the right move for your business. And that's one of the things I start out with usually is identifying what stage of business the person is in, what their goals are for the position they're trying to fill, and then making sure we're looking at the right type of hire. Once we've done that, now we go into hiring preparation. So let's take the example, which is a typical example for my business of you're an established business owner. You've maybe even hired two or three people in the past, but you're not satisfied with the team you have either because they're too small or there's some kind of personality clash going on or office politics and you don't like the company culture. Then let's say you're in that position. The first step I would take is actually calculating the number of hours you've spent in the past six months on hiring. Just because I want to get a sense for how efficient the person has been and what kind of processes they already have in place for hiring. Once we've done that, we also want to add up the amount of turnover, meaning terminated employees. Like how many people have you had to fire in the last six months? Um, If they don't have a lot of either one, then I know we're starting from a clean slate. So let's say we're starting from a clean slate. They haven't had a lot of turnover. They haven't done a lot of hiring. They're just, this is fresh page for them. Then we set a goal. What's your intention, right? What position do you want to fill and why? Then we actually create the position before we hire for it. This is very important because it's going to have a lot to do with how we write the hiring ad and how we promote for the position, et cetera. So what are this person's key duties going to be? What are your expectations for that person? And what method are you going to use to monitor their productivity? So let's say you are an online course creator, you don't have a physical location, and you want to hire a virtual assistant. Well, that's great, but how do you, how are we going to make sure that you don't get ripped off and neither does your <laughs> virtual assistant, right? Now, how are we going to make sure that you remember to pay them? How are we going to make sure that they're, what seems to be their hours are actually hours they actively spent on your business? So a really great way to do that, if you're looking for virtual assistant, by the way, is just go on to Upwork.com because Upwork has a wonderful strategy where they put your money in escrow and you only pay the person when you've actually gotten results. So that's a really wonderful way to have a, a built-in system to monitor your virtual assistant's productivity. If you're talking about an employee who's in-house, you've got a physical location and they're coming to your office to work, then the method we use to monitor the productivity is going to be a little bit different. It's probably going to be eyes on the person, making sure they're on task, or you know, maybe you have some kind of graph that measures their productivity day to day, et cetera. Um, regarding the productivity aspect, is there any kind of software that you recommend for team management? Yeah, I really like Trello. Obviously, depending on the company, you're going to have different software that is industry-specific. But if you're not looking for something that's industry-specific, I love Trello. I use it in my own team because you can assign tasks to team members and it's all remote. They have a great app, which I, I half the time I'm running my business from my phone. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and the, the rest of the time I'm running it from my laptop. So you don't need like a really robust computer to run Trello. It's very cloud-based. 
And yeah, it has wonderful functionality for assigning tasks to team members and having them report back that it got done. Nice. Yeah, I love Trello. I actually use Trello to create courses. So I will use the different boards as my modules and then each card becomes a, a lecture or lesson. Brilliant. Yeah, that's yeah. a great. I think, you know, Trello <laughs> is so versatile. I use it for everything. I have a, a sales pipeline in it. I, I use it for the client files, you know, for all my my one-on-one coaching, et cetera. It's very versatile. I highly recommend it. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll put all these um, links up in the show notes, including Upwork, something I use pretty often too. Like you said, it's a, a great uh, way to hire all kinds of different people from across the globe. You can get very fine-tuned on what you're looking for, and you can pay them in different ways. You can pay them you know, hourly, by projects, uh, full-time, part-time. So we'll definitely put that link up in the show notes also. Um, something that I did want to ask you about, thinking about maybe the course creator who's thinking about hiring their their first virtual assistants, let's say, or someone uh, part-time to help out. When you're talking to people, how do you find out which tasks or which positions you should hire first? So let's just talk about, um, say, online course creation. You have different aspects of that. You have, you know, video editing and audio editing. You might have um, landing page design and marketing. You might have emails that you have to get sent out. And you have these different positions that you could hire. And maybe someone who's a startup or someone who uh, maybe doesn't have the revenue to invest in all these positions is going to have to pick one of those. What's the best way to kind of figure out which position to go for when, when you're choosing that? That's a really good question, Jeremy. And I think it's going to be individual from business owner to business owner, but I'll walk you through the strategy I would use for how to figure it out. The first thing is I'd look at the profitability margin of the business just to make sure I know exactly how much you can afford to spend on this virtual assistant position. Um, That's going to really be a big deciding factor in who we're hiring. Because if we're just hiring like a little virtual assistant who's going to push paper around for you, we're going to be able to hire that person in the Philippines for maybe under $4 an hour. But if we're looking for someone who's going to do video editing for you, that's going to be a little more pricey. Even if it's only as much as like $20 or $30 an hour, there's a huge price difference in that. So that's the first thing we look at is the profitability margin of the business. The next thing we're to look at is the skill set of the business owner or the entrepreneur, right? So if this course creator, obviously we have to start from point Z and work backwards. So point Z is where does this course creator actually want to land in their business? Do they want to land in a place where they're only standing in front of the camera and they have a complete team around them who is producing everything and they're just the subject expert and that's it? Like, is that their someday dream? Or is their someday dream that they are themselves always going to be a solopreneur and just every once in a while have some help, right? Like some Mm -hmm. people prefer one or the other. I personally think you're nuts if you want to be a solopreneur your whole life, but a lot of people, (laughs) that's what their goal is. (laughs) They don't want to manage a team. They think it's a hassle. They don't want to learn it. And if that's their goal, then my job is to make that dream a reality. So I have to help them unburden themselves while they learn the skill sets to be able to be a solopreneur. So that's the second thing I I would look at in terms of strategy is writing out what your ideal goal is, your big dream outcome someday for your business and working backwards from that. So let's take the person who I think is rational, (laughs) who actually just wants to be the subject expert and the coach and wants to have a team that does the producing, the editing, the everything else. 
Well, then next I would look at what's going to give them the biggest bang for their buck today with the budget that they have. And what I mean by that is, what are you spending the most time on right now besides actually coaching and doing the things only you can do, like creating content? What are you spending the most time on? And of those things you're spending the most time on, which one is the cheapest? That's really at the end of the day. Which one can I hire someone for less than $30 an hour to do for you right now? And I think that's where you're going to get the biggest forward motion in terms of hiring just your number one first hire. Okay. So you're looking at the difference of something that's taking a lot of time in your business and trying to find the the cheapest price for that task, whatever that task is. Sure. Now, I don't say cheapest as in you want to go find someone who lives in their mom's basement and doesn't really know what they're <laughs> right. doing and is going to... like let's Let's define cheapest. Every And this comes back to why Ben and I created the financial grip. Every time you spend a dollar in your household, right? You go out and you buy groceries, you go out and you buy toilet paper, and you're thinking with a consumption model of finance, right? As an individual, when we're doing personal finance, when you're planning how to spend the money in your household, you think about how to consume stuff, right? I'm going to buy that car so I can drive it. I'm going to buy that toilet paper so I can use it, right? You're not thinking with an ROI, which in case I know, no one's familiar with the term, ROI stands for return on investment, right? You're not looking for a return on investment in your toilet paper or your groceries or that vacation you took. But the moment you start turning yourself into a business, even if you're the only one in your business, you have to learn the ROI model of business, the cash generation method of spending. So every dollar out must buy back more dollars. Even if that's dollars out for a software, how much money does that software help you make? And it's this new way of thinking for a lot of business owners, a lot of entrepreneurs, it's brand new to them. And so when I say cheapest, I don't mean like, how can we cut corners and get someone who sucks to come work for us? <laughs> I mean, what is going to be the biggest return on investment for having hired this person? That's going to be the thing that you're spending, wasting the most time on for the least amount, the least cost. That's where every dollar spent in a business has to look at. Awesome. That's a great explanation. This is great. I feel like we could go on for a long time, but unfortunately we're coming up on our time here. And I just appreciate all this wonderful information that you've given us today. And I know that people are going to want to come find out more about you. Um, before we get to that though, just thinking about how far you've come in your business, all the amazing things that you've been able to accomplish in adversity and adversity and all the, um, issues that you had earlier on and getting to where you are now being able to have these uh, high ticket clients. Um, you're helping consult them and get their businesses off the ground. And looking forward in the future, a year or two years or a couple years down the road, where would you like to see your personal business? My personal goal over the next couple of years is to serve a hundred more women in business because I want to be creating this community where we are not just you know, women who happen to own a business, we are opinion leaders in our own zones, right? Which is why I've been not just focusing on just chiropractors or just one type. I want there to be women in every healthcare industry who are starting to lead the charge in terms of a highly profitable business and really proving that you can have a dream team and a profitable business that you as a businesswoman can also be a mom or also travel the world or whatever your bucket list is. So that's kind of where I'm trying to go. I want a hundred women who I've 
proven that this can happen, can work for. Um, and from there, who knows? <laughs> awesome. Well, hopefully this podcast and this platform gives you a chance to reach more of those women out there who are doing amazing things in their business and in their world and can reach out to you. And hopefully you can help them out. And uh, where can they find you online if they're looking for more information? Yeah, absolutely. They can just stop by my website. It's sarahnicolenadler.com. Perfect. All right. Well, then we will definitely put that link in the show notes. And so everyone can go find that link if they need that. And all the other links that we mentioned today in the podcast. Uh, Sarah, this has been amazing. And you have a lot of insight and a wealth of knowledge. And I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today and sharing that with us. Thank you so much, Jeremy. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sarah. You can find out more about her and her business by visiting sarahnicolenadler.com or you can get the show notes of this episode along with links and resources by visiting onlinecourseigniter.com forward slash 55. Keep working hard and I'll see you in next week's episode. Thank you for tuning in to the Online Course Igniter podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening so that you don't miss an episode. If you would like to learn more marketing strategies and how to sell your online course, then also check out our free community where we share tips, tricks, and tutorials at onlinecourseigniter.com forward slash community.